The story is told of a fellow who was stuck on his rooftop during a flood. So he decided to pray and ask God for help. Then suddenly a man in a rowboat came by and he said, hey, jump in, I can save you. The guy on top of the house said, no thanks, I'm praying to God, I'm trusting God to provide. So the guy in the rowboat went off. A few moments later, someone in a motorboat this time came by and said, hey, see you're on top of your house, jump in. I can help you in this flood. The guy on the rooftop said, no thanks, I'm praying to God, I'm trusting God to come through. Finally, a helicopter came by and the pilot shouted down, hey, grab this rope, I could lift you up and help you to safety. The man on the rooftop said, no, I'm, I'm trusting God, I'm praying to the God of the Bible, he's going to take care of me. Well, soon the man died from the flood. He went to heaven, he had a conversation with God, and he said, God, I prayed to you, I, I asked for your provision, how come you didn't help me? And God replied, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more did you expect? Now this cheesy, and I should underline the word cheesy, non-theologically precise story illustrates a point, and that is that sometimes God's provision comes in unexpected ways. We live in an unbelievably economically prosperous country. What a huge blessing. For most of us, we don't worry about where our next meal is going to come from. We don't struggle with the notion so much is God going to literally provide so much as we struggle with the notion is God going to provide in the ways I think he should. If we compare our lives to others and see what they have, or if we use our own insight and judgment alone, we might begin to question God and say, God, are you even good? Do you know what's best for me? What we learn from this passage is that because Jesus provides for his disciples, we must trust him. We are nearing the end of our study in the Gospel of John. We come now to the very end this week and next week, and then we're done with the Gospel of John. We now enter the part of the fourth Gospel in which we have the epilogue. If you read a book, and sometimes there might be an epilogue at the end, it's the concluding comments. It's like John is saying, these are the last things I want to say about the Gospel of John. And although this is the epilogue, these are very, very powerful stories, very powerful words of how God works in and through his people. And it seems a little bit anticlimactic because just in the previous couple of chapters, there was an arrest, betrayal, Jesus was flogged. He died on the cross in our place and for our sins. And then he rose from the dead. And now, we have a fishing story. The disciples have gone fishing. 
seems like this big moment in this Gospel of John, and now guys are going out to look for fish. If we, if we look at this story and we only see it as a fishing trip where the boys go looking for fish, we're going to completely miss the main point of what's going on here. What we see is Jesus. We see Jesus who, he reveals himself as the God who reveals, the God who provides, and the God who serves. He's the revealing God, the providing God, the serving God. First, the God who reveals Verse 1, after this, Jesus, here's our word, revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. He's going to say the way. This is the third resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples. The first two was to Thomas and to his disciples when he walked into the home, that is Jesus, and said, peace be with you. So this is the third time now that Jesus, in his resurrected state, is revealing himself to his disciples. The word reveal there means what you probably think it means. It means to disclose or to reveal, to make known. It's the same word that John uses in chapter 1 where he talks about why Jesus came. Was to reveal himself to Israel. Was to show himself, I am the Messiah. I am fully man. I am fully God. And now after Christ has risen from the dead, he's still revealing his divinity through his provision for his disciples. You may think at this point in the narrative that the disciples are bold, courageous. Hey, Christ rose from the dead. All is good. We're good. When I die, I'm going to heaven because Christ defeated the grave. They're actually not feeling that way right now in the narrative. They get the boldness and empowerment and strength at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them powerfully. But now they might have some worries or concerns or anxieties. We hung out with that guy for three years. He said he was going to die and then rise again. He did it. Now what? They might have some confusion as to their place in the story or what God wants to do in and through them. So they, they might feel restless or anxious. And so part of the reason why Jesus displays his power and his provision in this passage is to serve and bless and calm his disciples. And then they go fishing. But this fishing trip is it's not a success, at least not at first. Verse 3, they went out and got into the boat But that night they caught nothing. Some of you like to go hunting. Some of our guys are out turkey hunting right now. Some of you guys like to go fishing. Some of you guys like to play the John Denver song, Thank God I'm a Country Boy. I just listened to it this weekend, even though I'm not a country boy. I like the song for some reason. I just like the way it sounds. You you know a little bit about hunting and fishing You know a little bit about guns and poles and where to sit and how to shoot and cast. And you know a little, you can talk the talk a little bit. And if you don't catch anything, you're, if it happens every time, you'll be frustrated. But you're just happy to be out with your sons or your grandkids or you're just having fun. You're just shooting the breeze. It's a hobby for you. But for the disciples, it was their job before they followed Jesus. They were world-class 
fishermen. This was their occupation. So to toil all night and catch nothing would be unbelievably rare. That would be like Jordan Bennington giving up 10 goals in one game. LeBron James shooting nothing but air, air balls for an entire game. Or Adam Wainwright letting up eight home runs. It would be unbelievably rare. It would be completely bizarre almost. You would think, what, what's wrong with them? That's what it would be like for the disciples to catch nothing. Toiling all night in a realm, an area of expertise and having zero success. What could God be doing behind the scenes in their frustration? That word nothing there, there, there's a variant word nothing just a few chapters earlier. In John chapter 15 verse 5, in the famous verse where Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. The disciples in this passage, even from fishing, and the disciples today, disciple means follower of Jesus, someone who has believed and trusted in Jesus, have to constantly learn and relearn, even in areas where you're gifted or smart or have expertise, that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. And so sometimes God sense frustration, difficulty, setback, hardship to teach us once again not to rely on our own strength but upon him to wake us up, to humble us, to show us that God is our ultimate need and he will have none of it if we live our lives completely absent of living for him or being dependent on him. After the disciples toil all night, Jesus enters the scene. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. They're out. It's late. Early morning, roughly speaking. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, children, do you have any fish? That word children can be translated as fellows or boys or guys or friends. He's not shaming them. He's not saying, dude, why would you... You've let up eight home runs? What are you doing? You really let up that many goals? You really can't shoot a basketball? What are you guys doing? Aren't you expert fishermen? He's not shaming them. He's just starting the dialogue. He's a, he's a God of relationships. He likes to get to the heart. He likes to ask penetrating questions. And disciples say, no. Uh, usually when we are seeing frustration and something that we're good at, we, we like to make excuses or blame. Uh, the disciples, disciples just say no. They humbly admit their inability. Part of the first step of becoming a Christian, of trusting in Jesus, of believing in Jesus, is to humbly admit an inability and in saying, no, I can't save myself. My, my good works do, do not save me. I, I can't grow in the Christian life on my own. I need the help of God. And in response to their humility, their no, Jesus says, cast your net on the right side and you'll get a lot of fish there. Nothing symbolic at all about the right side. 
Next time you go fishing, you don't have to do that. Jesus just being God who literally knows everything and literally knows everything about every animal, knows where they are under the sea. So he's demonstrating his omniscience. Omniscience means all-knowing. Jesus is proving his divinity once again. And the disciples, look what they do. They obey Jesus. They do what he says. Part of seeing the power of God, the provision of God, is to walk in obedience to the commands of God. Not perfectly, none of us do it perfectly. We all stumble and say and do the wrong thing. But nevertheless, those who have received the grace of God should therefore then walk to obey the living God. And the disciples catch and they haul in so many fish and afterwards they start to, to see that this is none other than Christ. John, son of Zebedee, yells out, It is the Lord! Because Jesus is God, we, we should trust him to provide on his timing. Regardless of our abilities, wisdom, in, intelligence, spiritual gifting, uh, ability to network with relationships, all success, all opportunities come from God. We need to rely on him. If, there, if there's any symbolism in this passage, if there's any foreshadowing, it's that now the disciples are catching fish through the power of Jesus, but later they will be referred to as fishers of men. Only through the power of God literally can they do something simple like catch fish, but even more, as Christ ascends to the Father, sends the Holy Spirit, and they go out and tell other people to believe in God, to repent of their sin, and believe in Jesus, to see any success of convincing people to repent and believe in Jesus, they need the power of Christ. Right now they're fishers of fish, but later they will be fishers of men. So Jesus here is revealing himself to his disciples. He's showing himself to be God. He's assuring them. He's calming their anxieties. He's calming their nerves. He cares about little mundane things like fish and fishing. Some of us would say, I, I would love to take Jesus with me on my next fishing trip, on my next hunting trip. Um, some people would say they might be skeptical of Christianity, and they say, uh, if Jesus comes down right now and does some sort of miracle for me, then I will believe. But we actually already have a miracle in the Bible. Scripture is referred to as divine revelation. Like the biggest difference between a public speaker on a TED Talk or a, a preacher who's preaching the Word of God is that the preacher has divine authority because God in His Word is where He reveals Himself. Scripture is where God talks. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Every word, every verse, every line, Old Testament and New Testament is divinely inspired by God so that you could say God wrote the Bible through human authors who perfectly penned his truth. So if we want God to reveal himself to us, if we want our spiritual needs to be met, we need to look to the word of God. That's where God reveals himself. As I've heard it said, the spirit of God uses the word of God 
to do the work of God and the people of God. So Jesus is the God who reveals. He's also the God who provides. Look at the miraculous provision that Jesus is able to abundantly do. When we say that Jesus provides or the God of the Bible is one who cares to provide for his people, what we're not saying is that our careers will always go well. We're not saying that cancer will go away. We're not saying that we'll automatically get raises and promotions, that we won't have some financial difficulty or anxiety We're not saying that we will always have good health. We live in a fallen world. What we're saying when we say that God provides is that he will take care of our needs. What we're saying is that for the individual specific plan that God has mapped out for every person in human history, particularly his children, those who believe in him, he has decreed or or ordained, you might say, how things will go. And some of that is good, some of that is bad, some of that is prosperity, some of that is setback, some of that you get good times and bad times. God uses all of it to make you more like Christ. And you can trust for those who belong to Christ that all things work out for good. Doesn't mean that things will go your way, but it does mean that he will provide and he will give you what you need when you need it. He's the revealing God, he's the providing God. But we also have to see that Jesus is the God who serves. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Jesus just helps them with all of these fish. They catch 153 of them. Once again, no symbolism with 153. Just means somebody counted and there was a lot. That's all that means. No symbolism with there. And now they're, they're getting out of the boat. They're grabbing the, the fish. The, the charcoal is lit. There's bread nearby. They're going to have breakfast. They're going to have a meal. They toiled all night and see no success. Jesus, the God who cares about his people, saying, hey, let's, let's settle down. I know you've had a long night. I know, I know things were really hard. I know until I came on the scene you saw nothing but lack of success. Hey, let's go chill out over there together and have a meal. Look at the provision of Jesus. Look at his love for his people, the, the, relation, the relational aspect that he wants to have with his disciples. This is the one who just defeated death. He died on the cross for our sins to make a way for people to have a right relationship with God. He, he rose from the dead. Now he's saying, let's go have a breakfast? What an amazing Savior. What a wonderful, glorious Savior who, who doesn't say, uh, go do this, go do that, go work hard. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. I, I really, I can't believe you said this. I can't believe you did that. He's saying, no, no, let's, let's, let's have breakfast. Let's calm down. Let's, let's get your anxiety levels lower. Let, let's, let's rest. Let's chill out again. Uh, look, look at what Jesus does next. Verse 13. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. He provides the food. He does the administrative, organizational leadership thing of orchestrating the breakfast. 
And now he's the one who's giving out the food. He's, he's serving his people. Some people in high positions demand that others serve them. Jesus is the king of the universe who insists that he serves others. It says in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. For many of us, we walked in this morning feeling anxious and tired and overwhelmed. There's a story that illustrates where you're at right now with two sisters, Mary and Martha. Story of siblings, you might say a little bit of sibling rivalry, a, a, a popular story from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10, when Christ enters the home for fellowship and teaching, Mary was sitting there receiving the teaching of Jesus, enjoying it, being instructed and formed and changed. But not Martha, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Those of you who have kids or grandchildren can see how someone might say something like this. Jesus replies, verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. For some of us, we, we don't serve too little. We serve too much. We have a fear of saying no because we don't want to disappoint people or let them down. It could be that we need people to see us, affirm us, praise us. We just would hate the thought of letting someone down to do another task. Maybe there's a lot of mess at home and we don't want to deal with the mess and so we overwork and we feel maybe empty or a sense of void on the inside so we go from overwhelmingly busy schedule to every season and jumping from appointment to text to email to work to this thing to that thing. And we, we feel a sense of significance from our busyness. A sense of a meaning from getting things done on our to-do list. But if we're on top of text messages, emails, social media posts, what's going on in the news being busy from sunup to sundown, if, if that's what our weeks look like every week, but we neglect to sit at the feet of Jesus and allow him to serve us, would that be considered a productive week? We were created by God for God, to communion with God, to serve God, to allow him to serve us, to spend time with him. For some of us, the call this morning is to serve 
left, to, to mark away some things on your calendar, to, to say no more often, to, to not feel like you have to be the first to, to, to check social media or check, be the first to respond to everything, but, but allow a, a slower pace of life to allow the word of God to do the work of God in your life, to allow prayer and corporate worship to, to be essential, to be actively seeking to spend more time as appropriate in this season with the people of God. Before we can take our bucket and spill it out on other people to serve and bless, we need our buckets filled. Before you can serve other people, you have to practice self-care. All of our spiritual needs can only be met through actively, regularly meeting with the living God. There was a golf tournament back in the 1980s in Dallas, Texas, and during this golf tournament, a massive tree limb fell and killed one of the bystanders, one of the people watching the golf tournament. And after the tournament was over, Charles Cootie, a golfer, a famous golfer, was interviewed on the radio about the incident in the golf tournament. What could he possibly say after something so tragic happened during his job, during his line of work? Here's what I read. Here's the quote I read. He said this, after running over and seeing the accident, I tried to play golf, yet I had no desire to play after that. All of a sudden, those three-foot putts didn't seem all that important. Sports matter. I love sports. But people are more important than sports. Productivity, efficiency, making your life count, properly stewarding ambition is a very good thing. But so is making time and actively walking with the living God who made you, wants to commune with you, wants to serve you, wants to bless you, and wants you to obey him. This week, choose to allow Jesus to serve to you. Allow him to minister to your anxious, restless heart. Receive grace as you call upon his name and you seek to get to know him more through his word and prayer and through gathering with the people of God. Allow Jesus to serve you. Let's pray. Lord, you are the God who rules and reigns over all creation. You are the king who knows, as the song lyric said, the, the names of the stars in the sky. Yet you came down to eat fish and have bread with 11 men. You're the God who cares about mundane little things. You're the God who cares when we're tired, when we're hurting, when we're overwhelmed by work and life. Lord, I just pray for those who have maybe neglected you or who have neglected to meet with you or who have tried to move on on their own strength. Lord, help them, help me, help us to remember again that you want us to be dependent on you and rely on the strength that you provide. And please help us to see the grace and power in our lives manifested increasingly as we seek to obey you and as you serve us through your word by your spirit. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.